0: Excuse me. This morning, uh, as I was uh, preparing the, my final preparation this morning, I was reminded how that last fall, uh, I, I, every fall I, I start what I call a, an annual preparation for where God, I think, is leading us to, to look at verses and passages and different topics. And last fall I received just a real overwhelming sensation that I think we needed to talk about rebuilding and renewal uh, and as a fellowship, we have a, a long history, uh, a long time, longer than any of us have ever been here, by the way, of faithfulness and unity. We've also had seasons, just like in every church, of some times that weren't so good. And coming out of this last pa- this last season of our fellowship, where we had some tensions, we've had COVID, we've had issues. I think it's time to consider moving forward, to move on. Uh, and with that, uh, God led me to this obscure book called Ezra. Now, let me set the scene for the book. Ezra lived in Persia. Today we would call that Iran. Uh, near the end of the captivity of God's people, uh, God had brought judgment on his people because of their continued rebellion. He brought judgment because of their idolatry, idolatry and a stiff-necked general feeling of stiff-neckedness among the people. And he caused the Babylonian armies to roll over Judah. And what they did was basically destroy the land. They They, killed, they just destroyed every home. They, they, they pulled the temple down. They sacked all the, the gold and, and, and treasures from the temple and carried them back to Persia. And the Babylonian armies had just brought destruction and death. But God was not doing that and not allowing that to happen to destroy His people. He was doing it to bring His people uh, to a better place. And you're probably thinking, I don't know about that. I can, I can remember as a kid, and I know this will shock none of you, but as a kid, I was in the principal's office. On a regular basis, a regular basis. I mean, uh, I, back then they did corporal punishment. You know what that means, don't you? Bend over, yeah. And and I didn't really care for it at the time, but I can look back now and see how God used that to to correct me, <laughs> to make me hopefully a better person. And that's what God is doing in this time of Ezra. He has been working in his people to, to bring them through it. I, I remember one preacher I've heard years ago, he said this, God never wastes a hurt. That's such a great saying because it's so true that when we go through hard times, when we go through struggles, God uses those to prepare us for the next season of life, to prepare us for the next... Uh, section where we're going to go. And so for the next few weeks, I want us to try to dig into the story of God working through Ezra and the people in his time. Uh, I know it's a little obscure for most of us because we just don't read the Old Testament devotionally much, but maybe this is a challenge to us. But this story is one of God working to rebuild his people, to rebuild his land, to rebuild his people so they could bring about what we needed some 500 years later. And we'll see that a little bit later in the message. So let's just take a look at the first chapter because I think of no better place to start than in the beginning, right? So after, Ezra chapter one, verse one says this, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, let me remind you, Jeremiah was a prophet before the exile. He had prophesied what would happen. They would go to, go into captivity and God would deliver them someday. So that's a point back to the previous times. But that the mouth of the, that the, the word of the Lord, the mouth of Jeremiah, Mount Boofield. The Lord stirred up this, the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. And remember, anytime you see Persia, just kind of insert in your brain, Iran today. That's the land that's there. It was larger than Iran today, but it was that area. Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation through all his kingdom and also put it in writing, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me, to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild. I lost the place. Verse three. Um, Whoever is among all you his place, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem, and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts besides freewill offerings for the house of of God that is at Jerusalem. So the story opens, and we are... In about year sixty-nine or seventy of seventy years of captivity, they've been living there almost seventy years. God has told them through the prophets, "This is what was going to happen." Remember Daniel, not David. Daniel was in that latter part of that time where he dealt with that situation. He served faithfully in that land and became a leader in that land. And God was using him in that time as 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 a one who'd been there a while. And God was about to bring about his deliverance. And the way He does it is interesting. He reveals that his timing is now, but he's going to use a pagan to bring it about. Now, that's that's one we have to kind of wrap our brain around a little bit. The timing of God is full. And he's about to deliver them. And the book has been described by many scholars, the book of Ezra has been described by many scholars as the second exodus. If you remember back in Exodus, God had delivered his people from Egypt, from bondage and slavery. Now he's about to deliver them from bondage and slavery in Persia uh in in the days of Cyrus king of Persia and so understand this he is about to do this and Cyrus has ble- I believe God's laid on his heart to do this but I got to help you understand Cyrus isn't doing this as much for altruistic reasons he's not doing it because he thinks it's a good idea he's doing it because he thinks he's going to get something out of it in the 19th century they discovered a uh uh archaeological dig discovered an item called the the Cyrus Cylinder, and I'm not going to spend much time there, but I want you to understand this is who he was. And this is where it's coming from. He was a man who really was pretty selfish. They discovered in that that Cyrus was a man who would use people to try to get them to do things for him. And you're kind of thinking, well, what? What he wants this people to do, what he's about to release them to go do, is to go build a temple so that they can do something for him. He wants them to go and pray to their God, This wasn't his God, but their God for him to have a long life. Very selfish motivation here. It's interesting how God uses a pagan with a selfish motivation to bring about his greater good. God works in many interesting and mysterious ways. But in that role, that cylinder that was discovered in modern Iran years ago, it said this, a portion of it does, May all the gods whom I have resettled in their sacred cities ask Bel and Nebo those are pagan gods for a long life for me that's all he was worried about he just wanted to live a long time cyrus was not doing this for the people of god but his actions are lining up perfectly with god's divine will god's at work he's revealing his timing here and so cyrus intends to send the jewish people back to jerusalem rebuild their temple pray for me to be successful but God's big picture is this: He wants to restore these people. Why? Because He's going to bring something through that nation in about 500 years that you and I so desperately needed. He's going to bring through that nation the Messiah. He didn't know that, but God's doing it. And I got to tell you, Cyrus was a died the world atheist, or you atheist, not a poly—he was a polytheist. He believed there were many, many gods, and to him, the God of the Bible was just another god. But God was working, revealing His timing. Number two, God then released. His awakening. Look at verses five and six. Then rose the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin. Now remember, Judah and Benjamin were the two tribes that consisted of the southern kingdom, the last kingdom to fall. And the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to go to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely. Offered. So, with the spark lit by pagan Cyrus to go pray for his success, God's about to work in this moment to bring about something good for the world. Would they step up and embrace the possibility of returning, or would they step back? Would they be faithful, or would they not go? Understand this every single, just about every single Jewish person living in Persia had been born where? In Persia. That was their home. That was their home. Homeland, in a sense. That's what they knew. That's all they'd ever experienced. And so their entire lives were centered around that place. That was where their their mom had raised them. That's where their dad had raised them. That's where they had gotten married. That's where they'd had their children. This was their home, okay? And now, to them, Jerusalem is a foreign city. They want us to go where? Have you heard the reports of Jerusalem? Do you know what Jerusalem looks like? Did you see the newspaper article on Jerusalem? There wasn't a newspaper article, but had there been, there would have been a picture of a destroyed city and not really a way to live. And this is where God wants us to go. Yeah. But God is stirring up in their spirit something That's going to carry them out into this promised land, to this place. And the opportunity has arisen. See, up until this point, the kings of this land would not let them leave. They were stuck. They could not walk off or they would be killed. But now, their God has opened the door for them a way to go. Now, remember, Jerusalem is decimated, destroyed, a real mess. There were some people living there, but it was not a good place. But the Spirit of God is moving among them, among the heads of the houses of Judah and Benjamin, among the priests, the Levites, they begin to make plans. And there's something within that says, Now's the time. Now's the time to go. Now's the time to go back to the promised land. Now, does that mean everybody was ready to go? No. What's interesting about this exodus, and we'll see this over the the, the series, is there were actually multiple times when groups would go. In in Egypt, they all went at once. Here, they would go, a, a big group of them would go, and then a few years later, another big group would go, and then a few years later another big group would go. It took a little longer to get the people there, but God was going to use the ones who were willing to go and willing to be a part of this to accomplish some great things. And God is awakening His people and many are catching the vision of God working among us in a fresh time. And you say, okay, now's the time we move forward. Now's where we go. There's where we go. And then God did this. He readied His provision. Let's look at verse 7. You know, when God gives you a vision, He gives you provision too, okay? Look at verse 7. Cyrus... Cyrus is our what? Our pagan king, remember? Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought out these to the charge of Mithradath, the treasurer, who counted them out to shesh the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and a 1,000 other vessels. And all of the vessels of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Shesh-bazar bring up when the exiles are brought from Babylonia to Jerusalem. So, 70 years of living in captivity, 70 years of living as a slave, basically. What do you think your bank account looks like? Not so good. How are we going to pay for this trip? Oh, do you know how far it is from Persia to Jerusalem? About 1,000 miles, and I can envision much of the journey looks like that picture that I chose for the series. It's a desert. You've got to take stuff with it. You've got to be prepared to go. And so here's the thing, is God's about to do something, but how are they going to afford to do this? How are they going to provision themselves? Remember, when Nebuchadnezzar had caused his armies to sack the city of Jerusalem, they had taken everything. Every you know, if you go back and read when David and, and especially Solomon built the temple, all the stuff they put in there, all the gold, all the this, all the that, all of that stuff was hauled off. But it didn't just go away. It was sitting in a treasury in Persia. And now Cyrus says, pull it out. I'm going to send you with not all of it. If you add up the totals, they don't match. There's about half. He says, I'm going to send you with some stuff so you can go do what you need to do for me. But obviously God is working for him in this moment. Cyrus has taken this stuff and he's saying, go. Now, who is this guy Sheshbazar? He's going to show up in our story. Uh, Another, an alternate translation of that is Shinazar. He's the prince of Judah. If you remember when the people were taken into captivity, uh, the, the children were taken. And this is probably the son of the last ruler of Judah, probably the son of Jehoiachin who had been the ruler years ago, and he's been taken there. And now he's going to be the one to be the client king, if you will, to carry them back, to get them back to this place. And God's timing is at work. God is moving in his people. Now, what do we do with a story like that? Wait till you see next week's text. If you want to read ahead, read chapter 2. You'll probably think, how in the world does that ever become a sermon? I'm thinking that today, by the way. When you read it, you'll understand what I mean. That's tomorrow's problem. Today, we're going to stay here. What do we do with this passage? There's three things I want you to see. The first one is this. When God moves, be ready. Well, I want him to move right now. He may move right now. He may move tomorrow. He may move in six months. He may not ever move in your life. There were people who went into captivity, who had people born in captivity, lived in captivity, And died in captivity. They never saw the deliverance of God. But that does not mean we cannot be ready when it happens. Imagine you've lived your entire life in a pagan land, surrounded by all the things that are offensive to your God, and you've never sensed the moving of God. You've never sensed the freedom of being where God wants you to be. Oh, you've heard the stories. You remember way back when they were in the promised land and how wonderful it was and how amazing it was and how they had the temple and they could go and worship? That all seems weird to you. You've never experienced it yourself. It'd be easy to place to, in such a place to dismiss the God that God could move at all. I've never sensed it. I've never seen it. I've never felt it. How can He be? In many ways, that's where the people in Ezra's day were. They had not truly experienced the move of God. But that does not mean they couldn't be ready when He does move. See, it's so easy, isn't it, to fall into patterns of living. We just kind of go through the motions. We go through the activities. We go through everything kind of as a rote, re- repetitive activity. We go through these things, and we'll, we've always done it this way, and we've always had this, and we're on autopilot mode, and we're just going through it. The amazing truth is this you don't know, and I don't know, when God could move. Is it today? It could be. Is it tomorrow? It could be. Is it going to be in my lifetime? It could be. But we don't know. But we need to be ready when that happens. I really doubt the people of Ezra's day had their calendar on the wall marking down the 70 years and going, okay, there's Freedom Day, we're heading out. I think they'd forgot about it, to be honest with you. They'd heard the prophecies, but it had been so long they didn't really understand it. And what they'd been doing was living life. Hey, that sounds like us, doesn't it? We get up, we go grocery shopping, we go to work, We take care of our things at the home. We wash our clothes. We do all the stuff. And we turn around next week and what? Do it all again. And we turn around the next week and do it all again. And life becomes very what? Routine, doesn't it? And if we're not careful, we'll let ourselves become lulled in the sense that this is all there is. And not be ready when God moves. What they need to be doing, I think, is what we need to be doing, which is to be ready when God moves. How do you do that? I remember the story of Jesus. You remember Nicodemus and Jesus? And Nicodemus came late at night to Jesus and said, well, what's going on? Tell me what's going on. And God, uh, Jesus said to him, he, he says, God will move when God wants to move. This is what he said. You ready? The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound and you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. We can no more anticipate the moving of God's spirit than we can know when the wind's going to blow. But we can be ready when it happens. We can be ready when God's Spirit moves afresh among us. We can be faithful in knowing the Lord. We can be walking in His ways. We can be faithful in gathering with His saints. We can be faithful in participating in the ministries of God's kingdom and the places we serve and the places that He opens the doors for us. You know, there's something profound in simply being faithful in the small things. The mundane things that allows us to be ready when God moves in the big way. Be ready when God's spirit moves. Will that be this fall? I pray it will be. But that's on God. Our job is to what? Be ready. Be ready. Second, we need to anticipate his stirring. Anticipate God's stirring. You're going, what do you mean his stirring? There comes times when God kind of steps in and goes... Okay, here it is. You want to write it a whole different way. I wrote it another way in my notes because I, I want you to make sure. I want to make sure you kind of get what I'm thinking here. Is that we need to live with an expectant heart. And do you expect that God can move? Do you expect that something can happen? Do you really believe that God can move in in your life, and in the life of our church? I don't know. I don't know if you can or not. Well, there's part of the problem. We need to anticipate Him. I suspect a large part of experiencing godly renewal and revival is less in the plans we make and more, more in our hearts anticipating God's stirring. Is God going to move in your life? Well, we can surely be ready when He moves, but we also need to think, oh yeah, He can do it. Do you believe, do you believe that God can move in your life? Oh no, there's part of our problem. We think, oh, He won't do that. I'm reminded of the story of the invalid who laid at the, the the edge of the pool of Bethesda. They've continued to excavate that site. It's a really amazing place to go to if you ever get a chance. But this pool of Bethesda was a place where the, 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 the story was, you know how the stories are, the story was if you can be the first one in the water, when the water moves, you'll get healed. Well That sounds like an old wives' tale to me. Don't sound like biblical truth to me. But that was the story, okay? So this guy has laid there already 30, you remember the story? 38 years. Some of you are going, I'm not even 30 years old. I can't even imagine sitting there. Some of you are thinking that's half my life. I mean, 38 years. Can you imagine laying there waiting to be in the water first? Some of you are going, hmm. But I think what happened for that guy when he was there, he had been lulled into a sense of. It'll never happen. I'm here, but it'll never happen. I can't get in there first. I'm not the fastest one here. I can't do this. I can't get there. And I think he lost his anticipation. But then you remember what happened. One day Jesus showed up. The guy's hoping he can get somebody to get him in the water, remember? And Jesus shows up and says, you don't need the water. What you need is me. Me. What you need is Jesus. He had been waiting. And so Jesus walks up to him. Remember what he said to him? He said, well, let's let's get ready. We'll be the first one in. You ready? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus says to him this, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. The man at the pool had not expected Jesus to actually show up. But Jesus showed up and worked the way Jesus works and accomplished something that Jesus could only do. He lived with an anticipation, though it was the wrong anticipation. He was waiting for something to happen. God moved, not the way he expected, but it happened. When we're expecting and anticipating God's renewal and reviving, I can almost guarantee you it'll happen not according to your plan and not according to what you think will happen, but the way he moves. But we need to be anticipating his stirring. God, move us again. Just as the people of Ezra's day didn't know where their help would come from and they were living with a belief that God will one day deliver them, let us live with that expectation. God can move. And then the one thought to finish, it's this. God renews for his glory. Why does God renew a people? Why does God renew his relationship with us? So we can feel good about ourselves and be amazing. That's a benefit, but that's not why he does it. Why do you have a relationship with God in the first place? Well, I don't want to go to hell. That's a benefit, okay? That's a good benefit, right? But that's not the primary purpose. He does it so he can have people who worship him and and relate to him and walk with him and can lift up his glory. That's what we're supposed to be about. God always renews for his glory, not his. Why did Cyrus release the people to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple? So they could pray for him. That's what he hoped. But God had a bigger purpose. And here's the bigger purpose. We're standing at about, in this story, at about 500 years before the birth of Jesus. Imagine with me, had the people stayed in captivity for the next 500 years? And the land of Judah and Benjamin, which is where Jesus was born, had never really been resettled and reestablished and gotten back into the place where it was a, a people, where would Jesus have been born? Would God have worked through that mess there? No, what God was doing was getting them ready to have the place prepared for Jesus to be born 500 years later. He was working through pagan Cyrus to bring his unfaithful people to a renewal, to bring them into a land, to establish a nation so that the time would come that Jesus could be born. He was doing all that for his glory. Wow. Wow. You look at that and go, that's crazy. I'm reminded of the psalm of David that he penned, and it was David, not Daniel. When he penned in the aftermath of his sin with Bathsheba, he made a real mess of his life. You know the story. We don't have to go into the details. He committed sin that affected many people's lives. He caused some to be killed because of his sin. He was less interested in God preserving his kingdom and more interested in cleansing his heart is what he wanted God to do. And I think that's where this all begins. Is that to to have this as our thought. To God created me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. See, David finally got it that if God was going to renew him, if he was going to experience renewal, God was going to have to do the work in him. But he had to make himself available. I hope y'all just caught that because if we're going to experience God's renewal in our church and in our lives, we're going to have to let God work, but we're going to have to be letting him move in us. Create in me, oh, a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Maybe that needs to be a verse we pray every day this week. Say, God created me in a clean heart, oh God, renew a right spirit See, God didn't renew his people then so they could feel good about themselves. He didn't even renew them so they could go back to the promised land. He did it so they could get the glory and to be lifted up. And that's my prayer for us as we begin this series, is that we would look at this and say, God, your time, your way, you move, your glory. And we want you to be praised. We encourage you, if you need to make a decision, a decision public this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, Maybe you need to come and pray at an altar. Maybe you just need to pray where you're at. We want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Father God, we come before you thanking you so much for your love and your grace and how you work uh, through your people. Lord, sometimes we, 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 we we get impatient. We want you to move now. We want you to fix things now. We want you to do something now. But sometimes, God, we have to go through the season of struggle, the season of exile, the season of difficulty to get to where you want us to be. I pray, God, that you would help us as individuals to look at you and say, God, would you create in me a clean heart? Would you do something in my life? Would you do something in our lives that honors you and blesses you and lifts you up? We pray, God, that as we uh, respond this morning, whether public or private, that, God, you would just be in this moment. And we look to you to move in Jesus' name.